13. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Samuel and chapter 13. You notice what we sang? You're looking into my heart as we worship. It's kind of intimidating, isn't it? God is looking into our hearts. You know, waiting reveals our hearts. That when we wait, a lot can be told about our hearts. My kids pointed this out to me. You know how sometimes kids give you valuable feedback that you don't ask for? Like it's one thing to ask for constructive criticism, it's another thing to just receive constructive criticism. So we have this thing at our house called hamburger night. And hamburger night is where uh, I make the patties and then I season the patties and then uh, I go out there and I start the grill and I wait for the grill to heat up and, you know, I, I make sure it's good and hot because I like those lines to be just like I want those lines on the, on the burgers when I put them on there and sear one side of them. So I wait for 10 minutes for the grill to heat up and it gets up to about 600 degrees and by that time I've really been smelling the burning grease and like last week's hamburger night on there. And then, you know, I put the hamburgers on and I set my timer for four and a half minutes and they cook at about 600 degrees for about four and a half minutes. And then I open the grill and then I flip them and I marvel at how great they look and how good they're going to taste. And I smell it again and then I shut it and I just wait and I, you know, it's just, I get really impatient just waiting, but I wait and I keep the lid closed. So that way they cook all the way through and my timer, depending on how hot it's been, how many grease fires I've had. Uh, I'll, I'll wait, and sometimes I put the cheese on earlier, sometimes later, just, I kind of learned, it's a little bit of an art, a little bit of a science, but I melt the cheese the last 30 seconds, and, uh, pull those things off, and the cheese is just melting, and they just look so good, and then I bring them in, and I'm like, okay, guys, it's ready, and, and then they're not ready, they are not ready, sometimes dad doesn't handle that well. Might be hard for you to believe. They're like, Dad, you're so impatient. You know, I mean, it, Dad, this could be a three, but you take it to a seven. I'm not awesome at waiting when I'm hangry. How are you at waiting? What are you waiting for? How are you doing with that? You know, I mean, hamburger night's one thing, like waiting for test results. It's something else. You wait, and you wait, and you wait for them to tell you what your future holds. It's something else. What are, you, what are you waiting for, and how is that going? Waiting to get married, or waiting to find the love of your life? Waiting? It was cute when you were younger, and now it's just frustrating. How's that going? How are you doing on waiting? When we wait, we hear back from a job interview that we're 
change their lives one way or another? How are you doing at waiting? See, how we wait in the present will affect our future. And what you'll see is you'll see King Saul here not wait well in the present. He did not wait well. And so it negatively affected his future. So we're going to talk about waiting today, and we're talking about not waiting well. And we'll see that, like, negatively, this is how to wait bad. And then positively, here's how to wait well. So here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel. So if you have a different translation than the ESV, you probably have something completely different there in verse 1. The NIV has, I think, something else. And I think the King James has something else. And the reason is the Hebrew is exceedingly difficult to translate. But the point is, Saul is now established as king. All the translations agree with that. And Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. Okay, so I want you to say it out loud with me because it will be important later on. How many men did Saul have? 3,000. Okay, it's going to be really important later on when we see how hard it is for Saul to wait. Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul at Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. This will be important later on. Excuse me. Micmash will be really important later on. That's why I have it circled in green. You can see where it is up there on the map. There's that cutout of the map that shows like where it is in relation to a bunch of other little cities. The green square is where it is on the big map. And a thousand were with Jonathan at Gabeah of Benjamin. So you can see where Gabeah is in relationship to Micmash. It's very close. All these things are going to be very close. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. And Jonathan went and kicked the hornet's nest. Okay, Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Giva. And the Philistines heard of it. So the Philistines have that region that you see to the southwest of uh, what would be in the future Jerusalem. And the Philistines are a big, powerful nation. They're like Israel's ancient enemies here. And the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it, and said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. Whoa. How many guys did Israel have? 3,000. The Philistines muster 30,000 chariots. That's 10 to 1. Chariots to guys that are armed with sharp sticks. You'll see the sharp sticks part at the end of this chapter. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen... And troops like the sand on the seashore. 
And they camped in, where are they camping? McMash. Hey, who was there before? Saul, that was his home base. And the Philistine and their demon hordes, they come in and they just take it over. And Saul just moves out because he's like, they're bigger than us. To the east of Bethaven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble. I guess so. They're outnumbered worse than 10 to 1. Far worse than 10 to 1. They know they're in trouble. For the people were hard pressed. I think of the scene in Star Wars where the boys, well, I guess the folks are in the uh, trash compactor and the sides are moving, the walls are moving in and it's about to crush them. I think that's how Israel feels. They're in trouble. And the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. Is this like your goal for your army? What's your goal for your army? Uh, hide under rocks? Crawl into caves? This is not going how they're hoping it would go. They're scared. The Philistines are big and strong and scary. And here they are. And some of the Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan. So the Jordan is up there in blue. It runs from the Dead Sea. Uh, well, it runs from the Sea of Galilee down into the Dead Sea. And so they're crossing, because remember, they're in uh, Michmash, just on the east side of the Jordan. So they're crossing to the west side of the Jordan, to the land of Gad and Gilead. He has people just deserting. And Saul was still at Gilgal. And the people followed him trembling. The people know they're in trouble. We are in big trouble. Because the enemies are bigger than us and stronger than us. And we're outnumbered and outgunned. And then they're trembling because they know they're going to die. And he waited seven days. The time appointed by Samuel. Remember, we're talking about waiting today. And here's Saul. He's waiting. His people are hiding in caves. They're hiding in tombs. They're hiding under rocks. They're hiding in cisterns where, like, where you stored your water. They're, his people are hiding, and, and here's Saul. He's waiting. He has people deserting. He has people running away, and he's waiting. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offering. He's like, I have got to take control of this situation. I have to do something. Something would be better than nothing. And I'm going to do something good. I'm going to offer a sacrifice. Of course, he wasn't supposed to do this. This was the prophet or the priest's job. This was Samuel's job. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had Finished offering the burnt offering. Something happens to Saul that would have happened to Nathan. Behold, Samuel came. You know, he just finishes. He's just wrapping up. And here comes the prophet. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? 
And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, you know, so it's, it's the people's fault. And that you did not come within the days you appointed. It's your fault. And that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, you know, where I was stationed earlier. It's the enemy's fault for being big and strong and scary. I said, now the Philistines will come down to me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. You know, like I did this to appease God. I had to do this. I did this for religious reasons. So, I forced myself. I didn't want to, but I made myself. Because I had to. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have acted like there is no God. Remember the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You've acted like God is irrelevant. You've acted like God wasn't going to show up. You have done foolishly. And you have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. So, so this is something Paul, Saul does. Saul does in the present, and it will affect his future. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. You know, this is what, how your future would have gone. But now your kingdom shall not continue, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Saul, you're now the past, and this guy is the future, because you did not wait well. Because you have not kept the what the Lord commanded you in the present. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal, and the rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. And they went up from Gilgal to Gabeah of Benjamin. Who was stationed at Gabeah? Do you remember? Jonathan. Jonathan was stationed at Gabeah. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him about, what's that, how many, how many guys are up there? 600. How many started? 3,000. You know that's 80% scattered? 80% of his army ran away? He has 20% left with him? And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them stayed at Giva of Benjamin. They're even moving closer, which is heroically brave in my mind. But the Philistines had camped in Michmash. They're still there. And the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One turned toward Ophrah in the land of Shal. Another company turned toward Beth Horon. And another company turned toward the border that looks down in the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. I think they're surrounding Israel. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. This is why I'm saying they're fighting with sharp sticks or farm tools. Well, the Philistines have chariots and horsemen and swords and spears and bows and arrows. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattocks, his axe or his sickle, all farm tools. And the, change, and the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattoxes, and a third of a shekel for the sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. You know, like, it was 
price gouging, fellows. And we're right, reading about price gouging 3,000 years later because the Philistines were abusing their power. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan his son had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Mishmash, or Michmash. And that is where the chapter ends. How are you with loose ends? This is the loose end. How are you with waiting for things to be resolved? You're going to have to wait for this to be resolved. So whether in, I mean, this is a lot like life. Life doesn't always have all the loose ends quickly resolved. Life quite often is a matter of waiting for things to be resolved, waiting for loose ends to come together, waiting for problems to be solved. So let's talk about waiting. You know that they were waiting, you know, Saul was waiting for Samuel, and that's what the narrative here focuses on, is Saul waiting for Samuel. But you know that they were a people waiting on a much bigger scale than that too. There are people waiting for Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 to come true. Where God had promised them a Messiah that would come one day and crush the head of their enemy, Satan. And so they're waiting for that to come true. They're also waiting for Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the third part of the promise there. That God made to Abraham that he would make them into a nation through which he would bless all the nations. They're waiting for that to come true. That hadn't come true yet. They're also waiting for this Messiah to come through which all the nations would be blessed. And, if, and as they're waiting for this Messiah and waiting for this Messiah, they become a people that wait. And, and I just want you to get in your minds that the people of God have always waited. That waiting is not something new. Waiting is not something unusual. Waiting is, it's part of being a disciple. It's part of following Jesus. In fact, when our Lord, the promised Messiah came, he came and he lived and he taught. And one of the things he taught is he said, here's what following me is going to be like. Well, you know what? Let's go see it together. We have, we have a second. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Keep your finger there in 1 Samuel. We'll be right back. But Luke chapter 12. In verse 35, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Verse 36, this is what I want you to see. And be like men who are, what's that next word if you're following along? Waiting. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast 
so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. And you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We are waiters. We wait. This is what our Lord said. This is what following me will be like. It'll be like you'll be like servants who stay in your guard, who stay ready, who stay vigilant, and you will be waiting for my return. Do you remember? Do you remember how the New Testament ends? So if you go with me to John chapter 20, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And verse 20, second to the last verse in your Bible. Revelation 22:20. And he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And this is how we pray. This is what we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. What I want you to see is that we are people that wait. The people of God have always been people that wait on the Lord. We wait. Now, we wait for Jesus to return. This, and you know, what we're talking about in 1 Samuel chapter 13 is how Saul was waiting for Samuel while we wait for our Lord and Savior Jesus to return. But we are people that wait. And like, like Saul didn't know when Samuel was going to return, we don't know when Jesus will return, but he will return. He is coming back. And so we want to be people that wait well. So while we're waiting, what can we learn from 1 Samuel chapter 13? What can we learn about waiting? The first and truly, painfully, obvious thing that we have to learn from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13, the thing that we have to learn is that while we wait, the primary thing that is expected of us is obedience. Saul got in trouble because he did not obey the commands of the Lord. Look, this requires faith. This kind of obedience requires faith. That as we learn to wait well, we have to believe that our Lord is coming back. Like Saul had to believe that if Samuel said he would show up, he would show up. We have to believe that if Jesus says he's coming back, he's coming back. If he says we'll be rewarded, we'll be rewarded. If he, we have to believe him. Look, here's something that I don't think I had ever thought before I studied this text. Just like a truck 
a truck's strength is measured in how much weight it can pull or how much weight it can carry. So what's it rated for? You know, they, so they give you a weight that the truck is rated for. Our faith can be measured in units of waiting. What can you wait through? How long can you wait? What can you believe God for, trust God for, obey God through while you wait? See, this gets tough, like, when, when we're in Saul's spot. Because I see myself, like, as, I don't see myself as Samuel being righteous here. I see myself as Saul. And I look around and I realize, man, when I know I'm in trouble, and I really want something to happen that isn't happening. I tend to want to take control of the situation. Do you ever do that? When we really feel like we're in trouble, don't you feel like then you're justified in doing whatever you have to do to get control of the situation? When we look around, the people that we're supposed to be taking care of are trembling with fear. Don't you feel kind of justified in doing whatever you have to do to get control of the situation? Nuts on waiting. I've got to figure this out, and I've got to figure it out right now. You know, I mean, this is what Saul was up against. He was up against, we're in trouble. The people are trembling, and the people are scattering. And what God wanted from Saul was for Saul to trust him enough to just wait and believe that he would show up. God wanted Saul to trust that obedience was better than taking matters into his own hands. No matter how he could, well he could justify the disobedience. No matter how necessary the disobedience seemed. No matter how good the disobedience seemed. This is why we sing songs about sacrifice. Like, sacrifice is a good thing. But it's not a good thing if you do it wrong. If you do it out of lack of faith and lack of trust and disobedience rather than obedience. So, so believing that Jesus is trustworthy, that Jesus will return, that Jesus is right in giving us these commands, while we wait, the first, first application of knowing that Jesus is trustworthy is trusting him with our obedience while we wait. The second, the second um, way I want to help you as you think about waiting is to to really catch yourself if you start to rationalize sin while you're waiting. Do you hear how Saul did it? Do you hear how Saul rationalized his sin? He said, well, look, the people were scattering, and they were. I mean, let's, let's just give it to Saul, that they were scattering. He, he saw his army drop by 80%. They were scattering. And he says, you didn't show up. I mean, I picture it being like dawn on the seventh day, and Saul has been pacing for six. 
you know, and it's, and it's dawn on the seventh day. And he's like, I can't stand it any longer. Bring out the sacrifices. And they bring out the sacrifices and he offers them. And here comes Samuel down the mountain. And he's like, oh no, please. But he's like, you could have been here earlier. And this is, this is just rationalizing. You ever do that when you're waiting? Start to blame other people? Or, or he blames the enemy. He says, do you see the demon hordes over there circling? Do you see how they're moving closer to us all the time? Do you not care? Do you not see how it was important for me to take charge and do something? Do something good? So, how do you rationalize sin while you wait? You know, when you're in trouble, do you say, well, I, I just, I have to sin because I'm getting pressed from all sides. I have to take control, even if taking control is sinful, because I'm getting pressed on all sides. You know, when, when the circumstances are such that you start to tremble, is it like, I have to give myself over to worry? I have to. I can't help but worry. I'm going to worry all day long about this. I'm just going to give myself completely over to worry. When you see your friends scattering, are you like, well, I guess I have to compromise because I can't be without friends. How do you rationalize when you wait? So when we wait, when we wait, the pro tip first would be like, hey, First, keep the main thing the main thing and just obey God. As simple as that sounds, it's harder than it sounds. Trust the Lord to give you the strength and the patience you need to help you wait in a way that pleases Him and benefits the people around you. It's a good thing God's strength meets us in our weakness or we could never wait it out. The first pro tip is wait, wait in obedience. The second pro tip is when you start telling yourself, well, I just have to sin. I can't help but sin. Sin is the only way out. It's the only way to take control. It's the only way forward. And after all, it's a good thing to do. Man, I hope you can hear sirens and see red flashing lights when you start doing that. Because how we wait in the present affects our future. And third, while you wait, I hope one of the things that you take from this is that waiting grows our faith. Waiting strengthens our faith. You can't, you can't grow in your faith without some stress and some pressure and some frustration, and some fear. Like, this is just part of growing in our faith. I think, I think Mary and I were talking about this text, and she said, you can't get better at waiting without waiting. So sometimes I think we, see, we think, if I'm waiting, I must be doing it wrong, or God must be doing it wrong. And it could be that God has you waiting 
because he wants you to wait so that your faith will get stronger. And I think this is why you have these loose ends here. So as you have chapter 13 end, I mean, you can see how it ends. Let's look at verse 22. So on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and Jonathan, his son had them. So they have two guys with swords and spears. Everyone else has farm equipment. And they got to take on 30,000 folks in chariots and horsemen and troops as numerous as the sand on the seashore. But we're just left with verse 23. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. And we're just left to wonder how it's going to end. And God often puts us in situations where we are outmanned and outgunned because that is the only time we will rely on him. It is the only time that we will look up and say, I need help. All the other times, we will just try to handle it in our own strength. Sometimes God has us wait because we need to wait to grow our faith. What I want you to remember from this passage is that waiting doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Waiting doesn't mean God is doing it wrong. Waiting gives us an opportunity to grow in our faith. And as we grow in our faith, we look up to God, we learn to trust God, we learn to receive God's help, and this will help us wait in the future. And this is an important thing to remember because how we wait in the present will determine our future. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us learn to wait in a way that pleases you, in a way that demonstrates our faith, in a way that is good for the people around us. Lord, I pray that you would meet us in our weakness as we are not people that are trained by our culture to wait. So Lord, we need your help in strengthening our faith so that we are able to wait well. Pull us towards yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.